Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. Every company has a story to tell, from the small startup to the large enterprise, and everything in between. This is one of them. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Sean. What are you up to today? I don't know what I'm to. Uh, what, what I, I know what I want. I want to hear a good story. I'm always up for a good story. Well, you're in luck because it is story time today. And uh, Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. And it's interesting because things, things grow and become different things over time. And uh, I think we have, we have a story of a transformation here where an organization found huge success in one, one particular area and, and then realized that that could do so much more good for a wider audience delivered through a different means, or through a different mechanism. And I'm, I'm obviously being very cryptic here. Purposeful. I was going to say the same <laughs> exact thing. You're being very hopefully, cryptic. Hopefully it's a little intriguing for those listening. Uh, but, but we have Michael Bunyard from uh, WSO2 Escardio. And uh, we're going to learn all about uh, the Escardio story and its, its transformation uh, coming from within WSO2. And we'll learn a little about, a little about uh, WSO2 as well. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us today. And uh, yeah, ho- hopefully the, the, the start of a, a long journey uh, for many listening uh, who, who, who need what Escardio have to offer uh, in their environment. And so let, let's just get into that. Um, it's, it's relatively new, uh, the Escardio brand and the offering, uh, but part of a bigger organization. But let, let's start with Escardio. What, what is it? All right, so it's a, a new software as a service product that we're offering uh, for identity and access management. So that's typically called IDAS in our world. So it's an IDAS. Uh, and it, it helps developers to be able to create really good seamless login experiences, uh, whether they're building out mobile apps or, or web applications. Um, and since it's delivered as a service by us, then the developers can not have to worry about infrastructure and maintaining the product and such. They can just register for the product. They can use it. It's, there's a free tier. Um, and then they can see how easy it is for them to just add single sign-on or authentication flows into their apps, like literally something that they can do in minutes. Um, so that's, that's what Escardia is all about. And uh, l- let me jump to bring back things a little bit. Let's say like almost like in a movie, we, we start with what you are offering right now, but we're going to play with some flashback, right? So yeah. if you could tell us a little bit about the, the origin story of WSO2 and how the company came about, and then we can understand better why there is Asgardio now as a, as a consequence of all those experiences that, that you guys had as the main company. Yeah, and the company's been around a long time and as you can imagine, evolved and, um, and uh, changed over that, that period of time. But originally we were founded in 2005. So just celebrated our 16th birthday. And our current CEO, Dr. Sanjeeva Wirana, 
and Paul Fremantle, both co-founded the company back then. And they both had been working at IBM Research um, and for, for many years had been focusing on web services. So if you think about the web services world back in, you know, pre-2005, it was uh, IBM, uh, Tipco, Oracle all had kind of middleware that would enable these web services. And Sanjeeva was, was very active in foundations like the Apache Software Foundation. Um, so he began to develop a real passion for, for open source. So kind of his world was web services and open source. And uh, so he kind of combined those thoughts and Paul and Sanjeeva went to IBM management and said, you know, the way we can really differentiate ourselves in this market from these other guys is if we were to offer an open source version of web services and middleware. And um, this is uh, not something that IBM was interested in at the time. This kind of predates their acquisition of Red Hat, uh, which of course uh, makes them very all in on, on open source. But, but at that point in time, it wasn't an interesting business opportunity for IBM. So <clears throat> ultimately, uh, Sanjeeva and Paul uh, left the company and, and founded WSO2. And WSO2 became an open source middleware provider back in 2005. So that's how it all started. It's not hard to look at perhaps why IBM wouldn't want to do open source, right? How, how do you make money? <laughs> but there, there was a, a vision and a, and a passion, I presume, uh, yeah. for the two co-founders that, sure, they want to build a company and, and certainly generate revenue, but there was more to it than that for them, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a part of it is like, what is your personal uh, mission in life? And Sanjeeva's is like making the world a better place through software, right? So like, that's a big, that's a big vision. And um, it doesn't say, you know, be a successful CEO and, and, and make a lot of money, um, you know, and drive revenues for my, for my, for my company. Um, so it's a, it's a big, big vision. And I think open source accomplishes um, making the world a better place because essentially you're giving people um, widely um, throughout the world who you don't even know, you don't even know who they are, you're giving them access to your code. So it's like, it's like uh, the antithesis of what software companies usually do, right? Everything's proprietary, intellectual property, let's have a lot of lawyers and sue anybody that does anything like us and get patents. Totally different mindset there. Um, so part of it, I think, comes from that, you know, personal vision Sanjeeva had of wanting to to do something good. Um, and I'll go a little bit further into other aspect that, um, that that comes into play there. And that's Sanjeeva was from Sri Lanka. When he worked at IBM, he was living in New York. He's educated in the U.S. Um, he moved back to Sri Lanka to found uh, WC2. And part of his vision was also to make Sri Lanka a better place. So at the time, you know, Southeast Asia was generally, um, people were employed kind of as outsourcers uh, for services company. Like people would outsource services to Sri Lanka. And, um, but there wasn't any technology companies that were building products and building software uh, based in, in that area of the world. And part of what, Sanjeeva wanted to do is create an ecosystem in Sri Lanka that uh, 
provided the right education in the universities for potential developers, um, offered opportunities for developers to, to get real world experience, um, offer the opportunity for them to get higher education. He himself was his PhD. Um, so as he was starting WZ2, he also uh, founded the Apache, I'm sorry, the, um, uh, the Lanka Software Foundation. And that was that mission was like, let's build this ecosystem of technology and product development um, based in Sri Lanka. So you could, you could see like, but there was two aspects of him trying to make the world a better place. Um, and, you know, the, the whole, for, for open source to work, what you have to do is you have to make your software easy to consume by developers, right? You have to make those developers' lives as easy as possible. So you give them, you know, great documentation, you give them SDKs, and you give them, you know, agents to perform tasks. Um, you, you build up a community where, all of these developers can share information and best practices with each other and everybody can contribute uh, in some way, uh, more than just contributing code, contributing ideas and, and best practices and, and, and sharing things. And, and so once you get that critical mass of developers that are being successful with your product, um, at some point in time, you know, if you have enough time and enough money, you could just use open source for free. You never have to buy it. And there's thousands of companies out there today that use WSO2 that we don't even know who they are, uh, but we, you know, we have an idea because we see them in our communities and and we they join us on you know webinars and different things, um, and uh, it's fine. It's great that they're using our product for free and that they're getting benefit out of it because they have time and money. They they can have developers work on that open source code base and, and modify it and and accomplish their objectives. I was going to say, Michael and Mark, you can jump in. I, I think that really drives the, the the vision, right, that he had, which is to make, you said it more eloquently than I will, but to, to make software available and useful, right, for the community. Yeah. And it's really, yes, WSO2 has put a lot into creating that initial round of open source and continues to invest in it, but the, the community engagement, right, raises the bar, makes it even better, uh, I presume contributions to the documentation as well and, and the agents that, that make it all possible and, and real use. So it's, it's, it's development tools and source for developers by developers. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's, that's a line that, that, that we use um, just because it is the whole company, you know, Sanjeev is a developer and um, most of our employees are in R and D and, um, and so, yeah, it's developers writing, uh, writing code and delivering um, solutions to help their fellow development community. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So I'm going to jump in because I'm very passionate about this, but coming from branding myself, and I always find my job, and I'm sure for you as well, yeah. that when you're telling a true story, a passionate story, you, you don't have to lie, right? I mean, it's, it's a true moving inspiration and then create a successful product. And again, we all need to make money somehow, but if you do that by doing good, that's the perfect storm. But I feel like the other perfect storm is when you create a community that, and I'm going to go with the, with how you improve the product as you go, when you have a community that is 
working on an open source, I'm assuming is extremely diverse, coming from all over the globe. And a lot of conversation in this industry is how a more diverse team can build a better product. So can you bring me maybe some examples or share your opinion on, on, on this side of being an open source as well? Yeah, I think, um, so first of all, you don't distinguish, we don't distinguish between customers that pay us for our services or customers that use us for free. Um, it's open, like anything we do uh, is open to anybody in terms of sharing information. So if you go to YouTube and you wanna uh, hear about, you know, best practices and customer identity and access management, um, if you want to hear from our solutions architects that work with clients all the time on, on best practices for API management and integration, all of that information is out there uh, for, the, for the world at large. And ultimately, you're building up a brand, as you said there, because ultimately, when you are recognized as a thought leader and uh, your people begin to appreciate the expertise and specialization that we have, uh, they want to engage with us in a way that helps bring us into their projects and helps uh, us to help them to be successful in their implementation and their deployment and that they're accomplishing their business objectives. So uh, I'm a marketer and, and you really don't market directly to developers in the open source community. I'm not sending out emails to people saying, will you buy my product or buy my service? Uh, but you are standing up your people as uh, examples of subject matter experts, right? And you're putting them out there and uh, those people uh, sell, sell themselves based on their expertise and clients want to engage with them. So talk to me about the, the transition or uh, I guess maybe a good way to put it is something formulated within WSO2. So some API, some services, some capability, and it was defined or determined that this would be great to offer as a service. Um, so beyond open source, uh, helping more people do something better. And there was, a, I believe, a driver for that as well, where, where open source isn't going to fly in every case, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. Um, when you think about open source is a deployment option. Uh, typically that deployment option involves somebody downloads your code, they install it in a container, um, it's in their data center. They then deal with the infrastructure around that environment in order to, to make it available. Um, they do the maintain, maintenance of, of the code. Um, they do the customization of the code. You know, that meets the needs of a bunch of people, thousands and thousands of people. Um, our clients that are using our product. But there's other segments of the market out there that want the same things, but they want it delivered to them in a different way. For example, uh, maybe they want the same exact capabilities, but they want us to host it. Uh, they want us to worry about the infrastructure. Uh, we have to worry that it's um, scalable enough to provide you know, 99.9% .9 availability when you've got 100 million customers that might be accessing the platform or you know, tens of thousands at any point in time. And so we've taken the same capabilities that we offered through open source and offer, offer them via a 
um, a, a private identity cloud. So it's a, it's a single cloud for individual clients. Um, that also can help them in terms of <clears throat> data residency requirements. Maybe they, they want the cloud to be in their country or has to be um, in their country, some parts of the world. Um, so, so that gives you a, a different option to offer the same capabilities um, and, um, and meet their needs. And then the newest one is Guardio is about, you know, identity as a service. And it's, it's similar um, to, the, to the private cloud, but it's really geared at more cloud native companies, um, cloud first, they sometimes call themselves, uh, where they don't have a ton of legacy environment around. They don't necessarily need an on-premises product or to support a lot of legacy applications. They're, they're all about the cloud, right? They're all in on the cloud. And, um, and that's what Asgardia is really meant for. And so what it's really doing for us is it's, it's helping to democratize the, the capabilities of our identity and access management by making it available to more people. Um, you know, part of, the, part of the attributes of an ideal WSA2 customer is that they have developers. The developers um, are focused on building things and um, they can take our code and modify it and, and make it do what they want. Uh, but, you know, you, you guys know about the, the shortage in, in developers around the world. It's the shortage in cybersecurity. Well, Identity and access management is like a very specialized thing. It's not easy. It's complex. And so, you know, there's a ton of companies out there that they have developers, but they're, they're more generalists, right? They, they have to do a lot of different things. Um, and they don't necessarily, they aren't experts in identity and maybe they don't want to be. They kind of want to focus on their core, their core business and differentiate themselves with their business applications. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, really part of what, what drove us to introduce Asgardio is to offer up the same capabilities we've been serving the industry with for a decade, but uh, bringing it to a whole different set of uh, potential benef beneficiaries. I love it. It's, a, it's clearly a natural uh, transition there and, and uh, a nice outbreak for, for a new offering that I'm sure solves a lot of problems for a lot of organizations maybe can you can you describe the i don't know some use case because iam is yeah. a big bucket what i'm really trying to get at is what's included yeah. in escardio um in terms of the services that that companies can avail so if you look at our open source product uh, that's been been out for for 10 years when we look at all of the, the clients, uh, about 75% of our clients are using us for customer identity and access management, right? So um, not for uh, the employees or the workforce use case, but for uh, SIAM. And in SIAM, you could break that down into like the simplest one to understand is B2C, business to consumer. I have a service, I wanna offer it to a consumer, that's B2C. There's other variations uh, on it, which get a little more complex, like B2B. So my customer is a partner of mine or another business, and they want to offer my service to their customers. Their customers could be enterprise or they could be consumers. So that becomes like B2B to C or B2B to E for enterprise. 
employee. And um, so Siam's really what we most of our clients use us for. And um, and it's a mixture of those two use cases, plus another one, which is interesting, which is government to constituents, GSC. So there's throughout the world, there are very progressive governments, be it countries, governments, or states um, that are really trying to offer a comprehensive digital services to their to their citizens. And um, things like being able to, you know, think about wherever you live, um, wouldn't it be nice to have a single identity and single login experience for every service you are consuming from your government, be it local, state, uh, federal, whatever. Um, and, and we've actually got, there's some leading edge areas of the world. Um, a lot happen to be in the Middle East, um, UAE, um, Qatar, um, India, uh, countries that are, um, that are um, really being progressive, even more progressive than financial services in those countries. So that's another another area. So long answer is we focus on Siam. That's our sweet spot. Yes, we can support uh, you know workforce use cases, but Siam's where the action is right now. And and the reason I think is because of partially the induction of the um, the pandemic was one of the big accelerators for Siam because you think about it, if you were a mom and pop shop um, and you didn't have an online presence, you needed to get one real quick with the pandemic. Um, if you were already somewhat mature in your science capabilities, you needed to get to that next level because business is going digital now and not in person as much and your competitors are, are moving quick that way. So um, that's why just huge interest in the whole topic of providing a great experience for your customer and that great experience has to have two things. It has to be super smooth, frictionless, easy, uh, but also has to be secure, as you might uh, might understand, just because of all the breaches. And so, I, I love to hear those story. The, the government that are getting involved, and uh, you know, we hear that more and more, where where there is a service to the citizen that can be done. And I, I, I love to hear this. Are there any other stories, example of uh, case studies that you can share with us where, where Asgardio is used and is making the difference in our, in our society and in our business? Uh, you mentioned the small business too. Uh, do you have any other? Yeah, well, uh, I'd say, you know, one of our early customers was interesting. They were a very small startup, less than 10 people. They were launching a new digital service. At the time they approached us, they had about a three month time window uh, to do their launch. And they had big expectations for customer growth. They would go from like zero to half a million customers within the first year. And um, because they were offering a digital service, it was really important that they be able to onboard their customers in a very easy and simple way that was intuitive. And they realized that they weren't experts in seamless login experiences, multi-factor authentication, social uh, social identities, um, you know, using different IDPs uh, and, and repositories for for customers. And so, in essence, they approached us uh, to to use Asgardio so that they could, in essence, outsource the development of. IAM to us. 
and focus on their core business platform, which was the digital service that they were launching. And so that was really good because, you know, prior to building the product, we said, you know, startups would be a really good target market for us because there's a lot of them out there uh, that need to, to deliver new solutions. And we do the, the Siam stuff really well. Um, so uh, that was a, a great first one. Um, the second one was it was another company that was also, they're a SaaS company. They deliver a great application. Um, and, and again, they made the choice to, in essence, I would say kind of OEM as Guardio under the covers. So, so that they could then make it easy for their customers to subscribe to their application and they could manage their users. They could do all the things that they wanted to focus on from the core business and, and outsource uh, IAM to the experts. And that's an interesting thing about what we've learned over time as well is the whole OEM opportunity is, is huge for us. We've, we've got a few hundred direct customers that uh, use our open source uh, services, uh, but we've got like 1,200 plus users that are using us via an OEM. So there's you know, 10 to 12 uh, of our customers who are technology providers who OEM the identity stuff. I, I can see that as a huge space, Michael, because the, uh, as you were talking earlier, I, all I could, you're talking about the government use case and all I can think of is healthcare. <laughs> yeah. even, if, even if just my own providers had some, some way of recognizing me so I could access all of my stuff. And, and yeah. Free. Wouldn't you love it if you could actually go to your primary care physician and, and have a single portal with your lab results and refer it to a specialist and have them be get, able to get access to that. And every time you go to a new doctor, you don't have to fill out the same stuff over and over again. Wouldn't yeah. that be great? <laughs> that, would, that would be fantastic. And then there's probably countless examples of that. That one obviously hits home personally, but just the, so one by one, the lab, the doctor, the hospital, the specialist, they, they could, presumably use this for their own portals or somebody, as you described, could build a portal for them, which I think they, there are probably examples of this as well, that then offer that service to all those individuals. With that you got it. That's a great, great way of saying it. It's, it can get become a nested thing where each provider has their own customer, but then they have an ecosystem of partners. That's kind of the B2B side. And then they share information to, to it might be under their brand or under the, the higher level provider's brand. So, so I have a gazillion questions. Hopefully we get to all of them. Um, the first one is you mentioned a couple of things. One is just standing up the environment, right? If they're a small organization, they're starting to build a new app. They, they probably don't have a data center. They probably don't want to keep a data center. They just want to do stuff in the cloud. So, so taking that burden off of having a data center is one clear reason to to look at this so that aside what what other things does this guardio provide that takes away effort time money other things that they would have to do on their own if you weren't there to help them think about how many times in your career you've heard people complain about uh, having to migrate to a new release of software, right? Um, the painful migration it sometimes is to upgrade from one version of software to the next. Um, sometimes it's painfully long cycle to wait for new features uh, for a software product. Maybe it's 
um, a, every year there's a new release or every 18 months. Um, but then it, there's so much time and investment uh, required to make that, make that upgrade and that transition. And in, in the cloud world, we actually have like three week sprints for developing new features for Escardio. Literally every three weeks, we're building out new capabilities. And the customers don't have to worry about migrating to a new release or having to do the upgrade themselves. It just goes live in the product. And so uh, that's a huge benefit just in terms of the ongoing, uh, the ongoing requirements for, for moving from one release to the next. You get stuff quicker and you get it with no effort. So that's pretty cool. And then the third is really kind of around scalability because it's, so the CIAM is very uh, high volumes of concurrent transactions and you never have to work with us. You never have to worry about, do I have enough capacity uh, to meet the needs? Uh, we, we have a service level agreement that we offer that we will be up and available 99.9% .9 of the time. And we put the backend infrastructure in place to make that happen. So and that was another question I had. Is it, So you have the infrastructure set up to scale and be safe and secure and, and uh, maintain integrity and all the good stuff to offer the identity management as a service to your customers. Um, what's their side of the equation? What, what clouds do you support? What tech technology stacks do they, uh, do you support? How, how, do, how does that work? What, what do they do to connect Asgardio to what they're building? So great question. Um, the, the first thing to know is, as I said, you, you don't have to be an identity expert and therefore you don't even have to write code other than modifying the code that's already in your, web page or your mobile app. And what we do is we provide templates and uh, workflows that literally involve, you know, cutting and pasting snippets of code into your website. And we tell them exactly where to do that or into their app. Uh, and it enables things like social login, um, adaptive authentication, multi-factor authentication, literally like in minutes. Um, so that's a good thing is they don't have to be an expert and they're relying on us to use best practices. Um, and, and to your question, it's like from a standards perspective, we, we support all the open standards like OpenID Connect and SAML. Um, from an from a authentication perspective, as you might know, it's passwordless authentication is huge. Um, it provides the best of both worlds. It's more secure and it's easier to use for, for customers. So we support all of the, you know, one-time passwords via email or SMS or, or better, better yet like TOTP, which is the, the time-based one-time passwords via like a push. Um, and we can also port the legacy and more complex uh, applications through integration back to um, LDAP or, or Active Directory uh, for, for user stores. So, yeah, it's, it's in order to really be comprehensive here, we have to support whatever language people are writing in. Uh, we need to support whatever standards those applications that they're building uh, conform to uh, and make it super easy that they don't have to even leave their development environment that they're used to using um, to get the benefits of, of identity and access management. 
So thinking with the head of the people that are the company, they're the user, those that are going to use uh, Asgardia, when, it may be a stupid question because in a way, you know when you know, right? But when is that some company, a company, at whatever level of maturity, realize this is the product that can really make a difference in my, in my business? So I think the, the important thing is to be able to support customers wherever they are in the maturity curve, right? So if you look at, you know, customer identity and access management, level zero would be you don't even have an online presence. Um, and, you know, level one would be you have a way for your customers to log into your service and um, consume those services and to authenticate them. And as you move up the maturity stack, you start talking about things like the ability to have a, a single authentication experience wherever you're at in the organization, whatever service you're consuming. In essence, there is one view of the customer in the enterprise that, uh, that understands all the touch points of that client. So a client's dealing with multiple divisions of a company there's a single identity that, that's represented by that customer, and um, there's the ability to track all that information. And that becomes really an important step. It's called like the 360 view of the client or you know something similar in most people's words. <clears throat> but that becomes really important to really get to the furthest level of maturity, which is now that I have that single view of, of my customer, I want to integrate that into the rest of the business, into Salesforce, so my sellers know what's going on with that client, into the call center, into the marketing systems, into the finance systems. Um, and I want to leverage that view of the customer so that I can give them a more personalized experience so that I can um, offer them uh, the right incentives at the right time based on what I know about them, uh, et cetera. So, you have to be able to support the client wherever they are in the journey that Asgardio was uh, originally uh, the, the primary audience for that would be someone who's a little further down the curve in terms of maturity. Like they're at that level one and they want to uh, start establishing a, a singular experience for their clients um, versus identity server, which classically was serving the more mature uh, people within the life cycle. So a different level of headache. That's when they can start using it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I want to I want to talk about that because you, you use the word experience a few times, and we we so we talked about the development experience, right? So you can try to and and the hosting that comes with that. You can try to set this all up and do it yourself, or you can leverage a service. Then there's the maintenance and ongoing. Uh, keeping it up to date and, and supporting the latest uh, capabilities like passwordless logins and things like that. Are you going to, are you going to keep that up to date or are you, you going to focus on serving your customer with this, with the stuff that you do for your business? That's another, so it's a, again, it's a developer experience there. Um, and you talked about the, the broader company experience now when you, when you start connecting that customer data and, and activity and behavior to the rest of the business, you can actually do better things for the customer experience. And this is my loop back around. All that is for naught if the identity experience sucks. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. So that has to be good. And, and that's not easy to get right. So talk to yeah. me about the customer, the actual customer experience, creating an identity, onboarding, and, and using the identity to uh, access services. Yeah, so the stakes are a lot higher in the Siam world because now we're talking about the customer is a revenue generating opportunity for the business, right? Um, if they don't like you, they will go to your competition. And so a little bit different than the workforce scenario where you're trying to make your workforce and your employees productive and you're trying to make them happy, but at the end of the day, uh, they're a little bit of a captive audience. And so, um, and it's more about cost savings and efficiency than it is about top line revenue generation. So part of the art of doing a good Siam implementation is, is to reduce friction wherever possible. And by reducing friction, that means don't ask for a lot of information from a customer upfront. Never ask them for something that you already know about them. And, uh, and progressively profile and allow that client to register as their level of engagement increases with you. So if you think about a great experience with any business that you do business with, it's wonderful to be able to go there, look on their website, check things out. Um, the Siam solution on the back end is actually, you know, tracking what you're doing and, um, and, and, and seeing what you're interested in and um, is able to then, um, offer you a you know a personalized approach to signing up and uh, you only you only ask them to sign up and give the bare minimum of information when um, when you want to acquire that and then progressively as they want to do more with you you ask them for more information um, this is so much better than the old world of you know answering three knowledge-based questions and setting up a unique password for them that meets some arcane requirements right? Um, so it's all about reducing friction. On the other end of that equation is customers want to trust that you're keeping their information safe and secure. And sometimes just double checking that they are who they say they are is not necessarily seen as a bad thing, right? So if if somebody comes back to you and says, hey, we just want to double check that you are who you say you are. Can you, you know, uh, take this one-time code and, and enter it in here so we're double checking? Generally, that's when you've done something a little differently than you have in the past. You're coming in from a new uh, geolocation or from a new IP, IP address or something else that you're doing that's a little riskier. That's called adaptive authentication. So it's like only step up and make somebody jump over a hurdle when the risk warrants it. And, um, and once you do that, make that as easy and seamless for them to authenticate as, as possible. I love it. And to me, what stands out is I'm just picturing an enterprise uh, IAM solution, trying to force fit that <laughs> to these yeah. scenarios is just going to be a, a real pain. Yeah, I would say the two most common competitors we have to Asgardio are um, customers that have written their own stuff. They know it doesn't work and they um, and they want to see how we can do it better for them. So um, they, they're actually a good one to, to engage with because they know what they want. They've already tried to do it themselves and they know where they fall short. So that, that's pretty good. Um, the other is those that have a little bit of wishful thinking and they want to take their workforce solution and adopt it to support the Siam use case. And uh, a lot of times that's definitely a square peg and a round hole. And we've seen 
companies that were focused on workforce identity go out and buy SIAM focused vendors just for that reason, because it's really hard to do both well. Um, and, and the SIAM world has very unique and be, beyond the feature requirements that are needed, it's, it's the attributes of you know, high availability and scalability and extensibility. Extensibility being like, how do you modify it to do exactly what you wanna do uh, and provide the user the experience that they need uh, without having to write a lot of custom code. Yeah, so Michael, uh, as we getting close to Rob here and we, we learn about the origin of WSO2, this new fantastic product that seems like it's projected into the future, but is it really? Because uh, you know the future keeps changing as we move into into technology, cybersecurity, new need, different cultural perspective. Uh, you, you talk about government getting into this, wanted to offer this kind of protection to their citizens. So it's an entire new vision of the future. I like ask you this last question to you, and I know you could probably talk for hours about this, but just give us a hint of what. What do you see to be the next step for a product like Asgardio and where is where it can go to be even better? Great question. And um, and to answer that, I'm going to go back to the roots of the company, because when I started talking about how WSO2 started, I told you that we wanted to be a open source middleware platform. Well, the term middleware kind of evolved to become something else. That's an old term that's not really used that much anymore. Now it's like API management and integration. And API management and integration is what we've continued to focus on outside of the area of identity and access management. And it's all about getting applications to talk to each other, get them integrated, build new services that can talk to the rest of the enterprise, manage those interactions and those interfaces. And we've continued to do that. And that's uh, the biggest part of our organization. And so if you could look into the future and think of a world that combined the worlds of customer identity and access management with integrating those identities into the rest of your business, you could see how you could accomplish a very high level on that maturity curve of going from just having you know, single sign-on and some basic capabilities to really being able to leverage that uh, identity of the customer across the entire business. And you could also look in the other direction and say people that are now building out APIs would have a wonderful way to secure um, those APIs uh, through an identity nexus solution. So, so going back to the very beginning is kind of, um, a good hint of where we're headed in the future, but doing it all from a cloud native identity as a service or infrastructure as a service type solution. I love it. And I, and I can't get out of my head the fact that somebody could use this to build something for others <laughs> and have yeah. that great that great experience all the way through for many, many people. The, the, the scaling of this and the, the ubiquity uh, potential for this is, is just amazing. Yeah, and we're all potential customers of a good SIAM solution because yep. we're all consumers. Yep, absolutely. Well, Michael, it's been uh, fantastic uh, chatting with you, getting the origin story for WSO2 and, and the, the formation and, and the launch of Viscardio and all that it does for identity for so many folks. And hopefully I'll get to experience it in, in some service I use as a customer at some point. 
Uh, maybe I have already and don't even know. But, yeah, uh, a lot of times that's the case. It's yeah. all branded by the service provider, right? And uh, we're just um, behind the covers. But no, it's great it, talking to you guys. And that's yeah. that's the dream of security, right? When it's not Silent, intrusive yeah, it's and you don't, even, you don't even know it's there, but it actually works. You and, got get, it. and get it done. Thank you, Michael. Really Thank inspiring you guys. conversation. Hope yeah. to talk to you again. Hope Likewise, so too. And- Thanks everybody for listening to this story uh, all about Asgardio. Um, there'll be show note links uh, to the offering and uh, ways to connect with Michael uh, on social media. Uh, I would encourage you to do that, especially if you're building something that needs identity management. Why not turn to the turn to the folks at Ascardio for that? So thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.